Greetings, podcast listeners. This is Liz. And this is Melissa. And you are now listening to Odds and Ends Podcast. Boom. (laughs) I think you should leave that in. Yeah, for sure. Hi. Guest host. You may recognize me from the shout out Liz gave in episode three. (laughs) Yes. Megan's here. Liz had, um, I'm not really sure. What is wrong with Liz this week? (laughs) I don't know. Well, she said she had some work stuff and it's her birthday week. So I think she had some stuff going on for her birthday. Mm. So... I was like, we were just going to skip an episode. I was like, we already only like publish every two weeks. Oh. So I don't want to go a month without all of our fans being able to hear an episode. (laughs) I feel like all like 25 of the people that listen. Anticipating. (laughs) Just like, where did Melissa and Liz go? So we have Melissa and Megan. Hi. Hi. And also, if anyone's listening that used to listen to Strangish... Megan. Oh yeah, I was in one of those. Yeah, you came on and talked about ghost Ghosts. stories with me. Yes. Yeah, which was good. That was a fun, well, it was a fun episode. It was a fun episode. Yeah, yep. it was. We won't be talking about ghosts today. We won't be reliving our prior experience. But we will be talking about murder. Murder. Yeah, which I'm not usually the one that talks about murder. Liz is usually at the true crime desk. Mm. But... In honor of Liz, <laughs> Elizabeth Williams, being gone this week. Murder. Murder. And this case is particularly close to my heart because I actually know the family <gasps> that this happened to. Ooh. Yes. Scandal. Scandal. It happened in my hometown. Um, of somewhere, Washington. Of Oak Harbor, Washington. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in case anyone's wondering, because people are always like, oh, where's that? But I just always have to give direction in relation to Seattle. Yep. Because whenever you live in like a rural area, you just say how far it is from the big the city, city that everyone knows. Yeah. yeah. Like for us, when we're like, we're in Fresno, and people are like, oh, Where? where's that? And I'm like, halfway between, between LA and San Francisco. Yes. Like three hours from San Francisco three-ish hours from LA. Yes. And people are like, oh. So with Oak Harbor, Washington, I'm like an hour and a half north of Seattle. On an island. It's a beautiful place. Whidbey Island, the town of Oak Harbor. It's small. It's quaint. There is a Navy base there. So Mm -hmm. I feel like if there wasn't a Navy base there, it would be really, really small. But it's still pretty small. Yeah. And rural and the perfect place for a murder. The perfect place for a crime. There there's not much crime there. Um but it seems like from my experience growing up there and living the first twenty seven ish years of my life there, that there's a lot of space between the crimes, but when they do happen, they're like big ones. Uh, there's not a lot of like small crimes. Yeah. Some every once in a while, particularly heinous crimes. Yes. And there's maybe a couple of more that I can dig up from Oak Harbor, Washington that I could report on. But this one... You should do a theme. Yeah, you should do an Oak Harbor, Washington theme. Hometowns. (laughs) 
I'm gonna take off my sweater because my zipper keeps going crazy. Oh, and like hitting the side of my chair. That's okay, I'll start getting warm when I start talking. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I said, I know this family that this happened to. Actually, my mom was friends, good friends with the guy. Okay, the guy who did the murdering, his name is Josh. Okay. My mom and his mom were really good friends. Oh my. Yeah. So actually, like, they would meet, she owned a coffee shop. Josh's mom, Susie. Um, she owned a little coffee shop. It was called Chocolates for Breakfast. It was really cute, like, quaint, tiny coffee shop that was just, like, super cozy. And her and my mom would have weekly coffee dates. And I would tag along most of the time because, for one, I was a new mom. I was about 18. I had a baby. A baby with a baby. A baby with a baby. And, uh... Susie's grandson, which was Josh's son. Okay. So he was also so he was teen parent. Oh, okay. He was around your age. He was around my age. He's two, actually two years younger than me. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, so a real baby, an infant right. with a baby. I think he was 15 when his girlfriend had their baby. I think she might have been a little bit older than him, but still a teenager. Yeah. yeah. But from what I remember, I, I feel like she was closer to my age. So... Our kids were the same age, and Susie always had her grandson with her, and I later found out it was because, I mean, Josh was 15, so he wasn't able to probably parent the child. I think the mom, like, wasn't really in that place either, and so Susie had him a lot. and Children, so. so. They were children. Yeah, so I... Softball practice and... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Learning how to drive instead of taking care of their baby. Right. I'm not sure if that's exactly what Josh was doing, but we'll get into that. He was busy murdering. He was busy doing other things that oh, he should oh, have been doing. Oh, so, um, okay. But yeah, it always turned into like kind of a cute little baby play date for the, my baby and his baby. And, and this murderer's baby. I know. How When, maybe this is part of your story. Were you still hanging out with them? Or had you moved here when he started murdering? I was already here when this happened. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I do remember my mom calling me and being like, oh, something really bad happened. Were and your I was mom like, still oh, hanging no. out at coffee when he did this? No. Oh, okay. No. They had sort of drifted. I mean, they were still friends and still in touch, but I don't think yeah. they had seen each other in a little while. So, yeah, there okay. was definitely, yeah, a good, like, 12 years elapsed between Oh wow. Okay. the time that our kids were babies and the time that the murder and happened. So, okay. Um, this story is terrible. It's terrible. I couldn't believe it when my mom told me. And then I was like looking at the news and all of this. And I was just like, Holy, this is horrific. And this is horrible and it's awful. And I'll stop making you be on the edge of your seat. And then we can just start talking about it. So Joshua David Lambert was born in 1981 in Oak Harbor, Washington, to his parents, Rick and Susie. Um, There isn't much info online about Josh's life or upbringing, but like I said, we knew knew his family. Did you like it? Were you friends with him? Um, I never never met him. Oh, just his baby. I just met his baby, his mom, and his sister, Crystal, who was lovely, lovely, like... His mom, sweet as can be. His sister, who was, I think, two years younger than him, 
so I think she was around like 13 or 14. She would sometimes work at the coffee shop. She was super sweet. Mm-hmm. Like seemed just like a nice, normal, happy family. Non-murderous. Yeah, family, like it, as you assume. Right. They weren't like a bunch of assholes. I don't think there was any sort of like neglect or abuse yeah, or anything trauma. crazy going on. Yeah. yeah, it was just Yeah, so but what I think happened is or what I kind of know happened because also living in a rural town in Northwest Washington. And I think across America, this might be true is small towns are kind of rampant with extracurricular activities like methamphetamines. Oh yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of what happened here. Oh, great. Is Josh started imbibing, probably hanging out with the wrong people. Dabbling in some methamphetamines. Dabbling in methamphetamines. And um, for anyone who doesn't know much about methamphetamine, I don't know if it's just because I grew up in a place where it was really common, but I know a lot about it. And it's like, it, it really fucks you up. It like, it changes your brain. Yeah. Like, it changes you into a different person if you do it enough for a long enough period of time and frequently enough. It's just, it actually like changes your brain structure. It can change your personality. It can cause delusions, paranoia. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, I never understood the draw. (laughs) Also, I absolutely was around people who were doing that when I was in my teens and twenties. Like I saw it destroying people's lives Yes. I never understood why someone would want to... Why begin? (laughs) Why begin? Why take your chance? Yeah. And, like, it's not like I was not doing other stuff, but I just... did other drugs, for sure. Yeah. I was all about a good, like, mushroom trip. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Sure. Give me some ecstasy. Molly. Yep. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. But, like... Meth and heroin seem a bit... A bit much for me. Yeah, no, none of that, and... A bit too rich for my blood. I'm like, I don't... I don't want to be awake for a few days. (laughs) Like, I enjoy going to bed at night. Waking up in the morning, like having yeah. separate days, right? <laughs> Not just having one long. God, the days are long enough without meth. <laughs> I <would> agree, <laughs> aren't they? And it just always scared me. Like, there's like battery acid, and it's just like not. It's like yeah, why nothing do you is put like that in your pure body. Meth. Yeah, no, there's this no. Is not Breaking Bad. <laughs> no, it's not. There was no Walter there's no White. No actual chemistry happening no. in the makers of meth. Mm-mm. No, for sure not. There's some other things in there. Yeah, so that's the story about meth, everyone. (laughs) So in 2001 and 2002, Josh's trouble with the law began when he was convicted of unlawful possession of methamphetamine. Mm. In 2005, Josh moved to Alaska, where the following year... No drugs there. Absolutely. So many drugs in Alaska. (laughs) Um... He moved to Alaska, and the year after that, in 2006, he was convicted of assault in the third degree. Which, is that a worse or a better degree than the first? I'm glad you asked, because oh. I actually Googled that. Oh my god. Because I was like, well, in the medical field, I'm We didn't I'm plan like, this at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 
So, Melissa, do you know what? <laughs> She's like holding up a sandwich board right now that's like, ask about first versus third degree. Ask about assault degrees. Um, like if you're looking at like a burn, a third right. degree burn is worse, worse than a first, than a degree. first degree burn. But with assault, it's opposite. Okay. So first like degree golf. assault. It's like golf. Yes, exactly. Um First degree assault is worse than third degree assault. Oh, so, right. so you just shove somebody at a bar or something? Yeah. Well, it says, okay, so I wrote down the definition that I found. So it says about third degree assault, this is the lowest tier of the assault charges and occurs when someone inflicts physical injury on another person. The injury needs to be somewhat substantial, but this charge is distinguished from higher tiers in part by the severity of the victim's injuries. The law distinguishes between, quote, physical injury and, quote, serious physical injury. So mm-hmm. I guess third degree is just physical injury. Okay. And, like, first degree would be serious physical injury. Yeah. I know there's something from some other podcast I was listening to about, like, um, like if you, if you accidentally, like, murder somebody, like, the degrees are based on the victims, like, injuries mm. i just said like so many times that's okay <laughs> cut all of those out <laughs> sure the I degree is based on what happens to the victim so no matter what your intent is whether you didn't mean to harm that all, them at all versus you meant to really harm them but didn't nothing matters as much as the thing that happens to the victim themselves mm-hmm. okay that makes sense so we don't know what his intent was, but we know that he only caused regular injuries. Yeah, physical injury, not serious physical injury. So that, to me, like, is a very, also, like, very subjective. Because something that yeah. might seem like a serious injury to me, like, what would be considered a serious like injury? Break an arm or something? Is that a serious injury? Or is, like, putting someone in the hospital with, like, a concussion a serious injury? Like, is there right. a list somewhere? Where's the line? I want to know... If you break a toe of mine, I'm less mad than if you break a finger of mine. So is that... Right. If you punch me in the nose, I'm going to be yeah. pretty pissed. Right. Because I paid a lot of money for this it's nose. Easy to... <laughs> you owe me $5,000. <laughs> so anyway, um, I don't know the circumstances surrounding that charge or what his sentence was or what happened with that. But nevertheless... Josh remained in Alaska for four more years Mm. until 2010 when he returned to Oak Harbor to live with his mom, Susie, his stepdad, and his son, who was now 12 years old. Cool. Yeah. So according to reports, he lived in a van that was parked in the driveway. Susie and Josh's stepfather, James, suspected that Josh was using drugs and they were concerned about... Josh's son. I'm just going to call Josh's son Sam. I was going to say, does it have his name? No, it just has initials. It shouldn't have his name. Yeah, no, he was a minor. minor. Yeah, so it just has initials. So we're just going to call him Sam. So they were concerned about Sam's safety if Josh were to reside in the house. Um, James was also concerned for his own safety, and so much so that he started keeping a gun in the house and even going so far as to keep a gun on him at times. Ooh. Yeah, so that's pretty crazy if you're, like, not feeling safe in your own home to the point where you feel like you need to keep a gun on you. Yeah, like yeah. towards your own, your own stepson. Yeah. Or what, you know, 
Exactly. So things were pretty bad. And after a fight with a neighbor, which I also don't know the circumstances of, like, I don't know what happened there, but Susie told Josh that he couldn't stay there anymore and asked him to leave. James testified in court that Josh's drinking had escalated to violence and they could no longer have him on the property. So I guess he was drinking too. Josh, uh, yeah, I don't think people doing meth are only doing meth. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm actually not sure. Yeah. Is meth not enough? I don't know. Maybe you got to balance it out with a downer, like an upper or a downer. <laughs> I'm not sure. And if anyone out there does meth, let me know. Josh ended up selling the van and living in a tent in a heavily wooded area, which was only about 100 yards away from Susie and James's residence. Well. So... I mean, they kicked him out, but he didn't go too far. So still super sketchy. Um, it was later reported by several parties that when Josh used meth, he was known to become paranoid and fixated on guns. No. And he would engage in, quote, gun-seeking behavior. Gun-seeking behavior. Yeah, which I assume is just like trying to find guns. That's what it sounds like. That sounds weird. Yeah, gun-seeking behavior. So, on October 2nd, 2011, the day before the murders, this behavior began, and Josh stole a 12-gauge shotgun that belonged to James from the garage. He sawed the shotgun off, removed the serial number, and hid the gun in the woods. Now, if you're like me, you may ask, what even is a sawed-off shotgun. Because I have heard that term before. Mm -hmm. But it dawned on me that I was like, I don't really know what that means. And I didn't know what it meant. I thought it meant something totally different, but this is what I found online. The principal reason criminals cut off some of the barrel from a shotgun is to make it easier to conceal under a coat or in a bag. Oh. When fired, a sawed-off shotgun is actually no more powerful but it is considerably less accurate. The oh, shot pellets yeah. sprang out in a less controlled fashion, which could make it actually more dangerous for the criminal using it. Yeah, I would imagine it would have a wider range of where the bullets go. Right, yeah. So it said in a couple of places online that I read, and it was like, if someone's using a sawed-off shotgun, they're like trying to fucking kill somebody. Like, yeah. really not have them have any chance of surviving yeah. because the, it's going to, like, blow a person up, basically. Right. Which yeah. is, like, yuck. Mm. I thought sawed-off shotgun, for some reason, I figured it was, like, not the barrel, but, like, the butt of the gun that was sawed-off. Oh, I'm not sure why. <laughs> this is how much I know you about guns. You need that part. This is how criminally I am, people. <laughs> You need that part. Yeah, I know. I don't think it was sawed like all the way. That's up, one of I the. <laughs> How else do you make the gun go? <laughs> well, I thought maybe like it was partially sawed off, but I thought it was just to like make it shorter. Like how they said it was, it's like but to from make it the smaller. Ass end? But from the <laughs> yeah, I mean the ass end can be pretty big too, but I guess the barrel is longer on a shotgun. Yeah, I just didn't foresee someone sawing off like a metal barrel yeah but i guess you can do that with a saw yeah i also looked that up and my search history is now really weird <laughs> weirder than it the already government's was like what what like what is a how do you what make a sawed off shotgun yeah lesbian woman living in the middle of nowhere with five goats <laughs> this vegan for? lesbian yeah. <laughs> what's she doing 
I know Liz usually does the crime stuff, so she's probably the one googling. I'm usually oh, she's like for sure flagged in <laughs> like the system. Alien abductions. Mine are like way less weird in the violent way, but um, okay. So on October second, he did all that to the shotgun, hid it in the woods. The next day is October third, twenty twelve. It's October third, the day of the murders. Okay. So, warning. Oh, God. This is where the story starts to get a little more intense, or a lot more intense. Okay. I'm not going to So this is obviously something it. premeditated. Like, he's trying to kill somebody for show. Well, I'll, we'll state our opinions on this later. I mean, he's obviously in a drug-fueled state right now. Yeah. He's gun-seeking, and we know he's doing that when he's on meth. Right. Um, and we'll find out what was going on in his head in a minute here. But, um, so it's October 3rd, the day after he hid the shotgun. And he goes out to look for it in the woods where he hid it, but he can't remember mm, where he hid it. Bummer. Josh reported later that he was looking for guns because he thought Sam was in danger. When Josh couldn't find the gun in the woods, he decided to walk to his uncle's house, which was nearby, to attempt to steal a gun from him. Mm -hmm. But when he arrived, there appeared to be a lot of people at the house, so Josh aborted that plan, hopped on a bus, and headed to his grandfather's house. 80-year-old George Lambert Mm -hmm. lived with his 66-year-old sister, Kay. George had suffered a major stroke several years prior and had significant mobility issues. Josh and his grandfather had a close relationship and he would often visit and help him do yard work. So it wouldn't have seemed unusual for Josh to randomly show up at the house. Sorry. Are we still in Alaska? Nope. We're in Oak Harbor. Oh, okay. yeah. I remember he moved oh, back and moved in with right. his mom. Oh, yeah. Yes. Just trying to uh, put astral project myself into the area. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which they look kind of similar, but yeah. um, he shows up at the house at about 2.30 p.m. and was met out front by his great-aunt Kay in the driveway. She was loading her car with some items from the garage to take to storage. She told Josh to go ahead and go inside, that George was in the living room doing a crossword puzzle. George. Oh, no. Yeah. Josh entered through the front door and immediately locked it behind him. Oh, no. George was standing in front of his chair in the living room, which, by the way, was like a lift chair. Was one of those chairs that, like, lifts you up so you can stand because he had, like, really bad mobility issues from his stroke. So George is standing in front of his chair in the living room. Josh approached him, pulled a knife out from his pocket, and held it to George's face. Okay. Josh later testified that he was on a mission to get a gun and said, quote, I put the knife in his face, which is the universal term for freeze. And he wasn't scared at all. Not one bit of fear was in his eyes at all. Unquote. Mm-hmm. Josh said that his grandfather charged at him, which, what a fucking badass, I gotta say. Which but no fear in his eyes, though. No fear in his eyes, and he charged at him, and we'll learn later that George was a Marine, so this is probably oh, why he okay. was... All right exhibiting such badassery and they fought and struggled and i just imagine this and he's 80 and he's had a stroke he's 80 and he's had a stroke and he's fighting with his i'm not sure how old josh was at this time 20 something 30 year old 30 year old 
grandson on meth on meth who's got a knife so george fought back which good for you george but ultimately the struggle ended when josh stabbed his grandfather in the throat nearly severing his tongue Uh. then continued to stab him in the chest 27 times fuck dude seriously and when i think when I hear about people getting stabbed that many times, I just like think about how many That's a ton times. of time. That's like so long of a time. Like if you think about how long it I takes to I've like. I've never done anything 27 times. I know. Seriously. Like I don't that's. I think I know. I don't think I could name 27 people. Like, no. 27 is a lot. And if you think about how long it takes to like stab. I mean, I don't know. I've never done it. But like uh, how yeah. long it might take to like stab a knife in. I think it takes pull a lot it of out. effort. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Jesus Christ, man. So. Well, meth. True. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. Meth and rage and delusions and Mm -hmm. all of the things that were happening. So Aunt Kay was still outside and had no idea what had just happened. She entered through the back door since the front door had been locked and Josh ambushed her, hit her on the head, Uh. bound her wrists and ankles with tape and demanded she tell him where the guns were. Kay knew George kept a gun under his bed, but didn't tell Josh about the gun or that she and George had recently switched bedrooms. Mm. Josh started going through the house and yelling and tearing things out of closets and acting a fool. When Josh couldn't find any weapons, he demanded that Kay give him the keys to her car. After finding a pellet rifle and ammunition in the garage, Josh left. Oh, God. So, Aunt Kay, great Aunt Kay is still kicking she's yes thankfully and i can't even imagine how terrified she was she probably thought he was gonna kill her too well yeah yeah i mean seeing her brother yeah seeing her brother dead and stabbed yeah 28 times total uh yeah that poor woman so um so he found a pellet rifle which isn't really a gun Mm -hmm. um but he took it and took her car and left Next, Josh drove to his mother's house because he knew that there were guns there, mm-hmm. um, but they were all locked up. So James later testified that Josh was allowed in the house only when his mother was home. Mm-hmm. He said that he kept his guns in a locked gun safe in the garage, that he had installed a deadbolt on the garage door, and that he always kept the door locked specifically to keep Josh out of there. Mm-hmm. Of course, since he was scared of Josh. Right. Rightfully so. Where is his baby at this point? Um, well, he's 12 oh, now. Oh, he's, he's a child. Yeah. Okay. So probably school? at school. Ugh. Just living his life. Ugh. Yeah. So when Josh arrived his, at his mother's house, no one was home. So he entered the house and was searching high and low for firearms. This is where I should mention that Susie's 80-year-old father, August... Josh's other grandfather mm-hmm. lived in an apartment above the family's garage, and he was home. <sighs> While Josh was in his mother's bedroom, he saw his grandfather outside in the driveway. Mm. Yeah. Josh went outside and told August that he needed the key to the garage because he needed the guns and cases that were in there. August said, No, you're not allowed in the garage. Mm-hmm. Josh says that he pulled out the knife and, quote, Put the knife in his face. Oh. Um, 
And August lunged at him. So basically, both these grandpas were super badass grandpas. And they were like, "Uh uh-uh, kid. Like, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) I'm going to take you down. Um, Side note, I really like the name August. I know. His name was August Eisner. Like, how sweet of a name is that for a grandpa also? So August's badassery was no match match for Josh on his drug-fueled quest for guns. Yeah. Uh, Because Josh also stabbed August in the neck, severing his carotid artery, then stabbed August in the back 21 times. Jesus. Seriously. I know. Horrible. Horrible. Josh took the garage keys from his grandfather's pocket, but for some reason couldn't open the gun safe. So now he's murdered two people, Mm -hmm. both of his grandfathers, who were 80 years old, but he still has nothing but a pellet gun to show for it. So... What a loser. Loser. Can't even find a gun. Can't even open the gun safe. Josh then drove to the apartment of an acquaintance, Amber McCabe. Okay. She wasn't home, but she soon returned from visiting a neighbor and found Josh inside her apartment holding her hunting bow. Oh, no. That's a sight. Plus, I'm sure he's covered in blood. He's gotta be. Yeah. He's gotta be covered in blood. Like, it doesn't say anywhere. Imagine coming home. And seeing some your acquaintance, yeah, covered in blood, holding your fucking standing crossbow. in your apartment because this is Oak Harbor, Washington. People don't lock their goddamn doors. Uh, I yell at my mom all the time, uh, I'm like, "Mom, lock your doors!" <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, don't worry, Amber's fine. Oh, good. She just told him to leave, <laughs> and he was like, "Okay," but first he was like, "The police are looking for me." <laughs> okay. And she was like, okay. Swiper, no swiping. Ah, dang. Ah, dang. So she's like, leave. And he's like, fine. But the police are looking for me, which she probably figured something was up if he's like bloody. Yeah. Like he's holding a weapon in her home that he broke into. And looking probably pretty like twacked out on drugs Mm -hmm. and whatever. Are the the police looking for him? The police were looking for him because Aunt Kay, Kay. she got loose, which... This guy's an idiot. Like, he couldn't get into the gun safe. I'm sure his tape job wasn't too good on Kay either. So she got loose. At about 3 p.m., she called the cops to report George's murder. And a second call came in at about 3.35 to report August's murder. It was James who reported August's murder after he arrived at home to find him on the ground in the driveway with, quote, a large gash on his throat that had been bled dry. Oh, my God. He was laying there. I think they said that it was estimated that August was killed around three o'clock. So that's 35 minutes of just like bleeding Uh, out, which I mean, thank God it was James and not Sam who came home from school and found his grandfather there. So after a short manhunt, Oak Harbor Police Department officers arrested Josh later that same day. Thank God. Yeah. Upon arrest, Officer Robert Mirabal, who I also know, he was Zane's daycare lady's husband. (laughs) And they were friends of the family, too. This is like a super, super small town. So it's like everybody knows each other. Um, 
So Officer Mirabal found a hypodermic needle in Josh's jacket pocket Mm. and a small plastic bag of white powder in his pants pocket. Forensic scientist Daniel Van Wick testified that the white powder the police seized from Josh's pocket was a substance called dimethyl sulfone, which is very frequently used as a cutting agent for methamphetamine. Mm. So in case there was any doubt that drugs were involved here right that clears that right up a couple of drugs in his pocket yeah yep so during his trial the court admitted into evidence recordings of several conversations between josh and his mother while josh was in jail on one of the recordings josh explained that he stabbed each of his grandfathers so many times because they weren't dying right away He said, quote, I couldn't stand to sit there and watch them slowly die. Oh. That's why I kept stabbing them. Because I never killed anybody before. I don't know how. And it's like, if you don't want to watch them die, you didn't have to watch them you die at yeah, all. Yeah. Like, slowly or quickly, either way. Like, that you did, he's, like, acting like he didn't have a choice. Right, yeah. He's like, I couldn't watch them like die slowly. his first grandpa, hey, can I have a gun? Can I borrow the gun? Yeah. But I'm assuming... What was he trying to use it for? Does that come up? Well, like he's... Did I mention this Like, already? what did he, he need a gun for? He thought like, his son was in danger. But who... Okay. Yeah, this is a delusion. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll talk about it a little bit. Okay. Um. Although he had access to an attorney, Josh decided he wanted to represent himself in court. Yes! The most sane of moves. Yeah. What a... Yeah. Come on. He did not do a good job. I'll just say that. No. Yeah. No. Didn't do a great job. Didn't. So in his opening statement, he told the jury the evidence would show that on October 3rd, 2011, he was, quote, legally insane. However, then he testified that he took meth intravenously and kept needles at his mother's house. (laughs) So it's like... Well, okay, that those two things contra- contradict each other because uh, we'll get to that. Okay. So he said he hears voices, quote, pretty much constantly and was, quote, in some form of hallucination during the murders, mm-hmm. which is a very technical term, some form of hallucination. <laughs> Josh described previous hallucinations and the hallucinations he experienced on the day of the murders in detail. In rebuttal to Josh's insanity claim, the state called Western State Hospital forensic psychiatrist Dr. Margaret Dean and psychologist Dr. Brian Judd to the stand. And you knew both of them? No. (laughs) Did not. (laughs) They were your neighbors. (laughs) They were my neighbors. No, these people were from Western State Hospital, so not living in Oak Harbor. Oh, okay. So you didn't know them. Nope. But they are experts, and Dr. Dean testified that Josh was probably in a substance-induced psychotic episode on the date of the murders. Mm -hmm. Dr. Dean said substance-induced psychotic episodes are not the result of a major mental illness, but are solely the result of voluntary use of a drug. Right. Yeah. Dr. Dean concluded that Josh was malingering, which is a fancy term for intentionally feigning or exaggerating Mm -hmm. his mental health symptoms in order to obtain a certain definite goal which was to get off on insanity right. yeah. defense. Um, 
So Dr. Dean described a number of reasons to support her conclusion that Josh was in fact malingering. She testified that it was her medical opinion. Oh, this is a quote. Quote, medical opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty that Mr. Lambert does not qualify for an affirmative defense of being found not guilty by reason of insanity. So he's not mentally ill. He hadn't suffered from mental illness. Like this is a drug induced -induced. psychosis. Like you did this to yourself. You cannot then kill someone and then go to court and be like, but I was insane. And it's like, yeah, "Yeah, but you weren't though. You did that to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Like talk to You took enough drugs that you made yourself this way. Exactly. And drugs are illegal themselves. Yeah. So it's your fault. So let's talk about the sentence. So the jury returned a verdict finding Josh Lambert guilty. Okay, I'm going to read all of the charges. There's a lot. Guilty of murder in the first degree of George Lambert, murder in the first degree of August Eisner, kidnapping in the first degree of Kay Gage, Mm. burglary in the first degree of the residence of George Lambert and Kay Gage, taking a motor vehicle without permission in the second degree, Mm. burglary in the first degree of the residence of Susan Lambert and James Coffin, Mm -hmm. burglary in the first degree of the residence of Amber McCabe, and unlawful possession of a firearm in the second degree. Wow. Yeah. Now, by special verdict, the jury found Josh Lambert was armed with a deadly weapon at the time he committed murder in the first degree of George Lambert and August Eisner, mm-hmm. kidnapping Kay Gage, burglary in the first degree of the residence of George Lambert and Kay Gage, and burglary in the first degree of the residence of Susan Lambert and James Coffin. The jury returned a special verdict on a number of aggravating factors, including the victims were members of the same family or household and were particularly vulnerable or incapable of resistance, which, Mm, of course, they were both elderly men, one of whom had had a stroke. So 100% vulnerable and incapable of resistance. Yeah. Horrible. So the court imposed an exceptional sentence of 1,200 months in prison. 1,200 months? Which... How old is that baby? If you're not good at math... 12? I'll break it down because I had to actually think about this for a minute. I was like, wait, how many years is that? 100 years. Oh, okay. Why deliver it in months? Don't know. Does that judge just have a baby? <laughs> exactly. It's like, my baby is my baby 32 is, months old. Yeah. And it's like, shit, I gotta do some just quick math. Start. Fast math. <laughs> yeah, fast math. So, he's away for life, basically. I don't okay. know. They didn't say anything about it, whether or not there's a possibility of parole ever. That wasn't in the any of the things that I read. Hmm. Um, just the fact that he grew up in a stable environment had loving parents like and this still happened yeah like it just shows how much meth can really like drugs in general but meth is just a bad one i know that one's the hallucinations that you can have on these type of drugs are not only caused by the drug themselves but also caused by the lack of sleep from the drugs yeah like that compounds it because yeah not sleeping itself can make you hallucinate exactly and when you're up for three days straight probably not eating yeah and your poor body your poor body your poor brain i know one time 
Sorry, I had to blow my nose. One time you did math. No, no, never did. Um, <laughs> you know that one time I did math. And remember I was that awake one for time six I did Um, no. When I worked as an EMT and I worked two twenty-four hour shifts back to back, which Ooh, how could they let you do that? Well, so the company that I worked for, if you were on a twenty-four hour um, ambulance, you would be last called out because we had eight hour ambulances and 12 hour ambulances. Mm -hmm. So usually on a 24 hour shift, like you would get some naps in. Oh, okay. Yeah. And especially like I I would work that shift all the time because I would usually work over a weekend when Zane was at his dad's house Mm. and I would get all my hours for the week done and have (laughs) in two days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but one time I did that and we were super busy. And so it was like 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. shifts. So the first 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. shift, I had no sleep. Yeah. We didn't get any sleep. And then we were busy all day the next day. So it got to like oh the God. evening of the next day. And it, it had is. been 36 hours since I had slept. And oh I God. started hallucinating. Yeah. You yeah. do that. Your brain doesn't like not sleeping. No. So I was like driving the ambulance. And I had to pull over. This is in Seattle. <sighs> I had to pull over and I told my partner, like, you need to drive and we need to call um, and talk, call dispatch and tell them they need to take us. I need like a couple hours of sleep. And so we did. And they were like, they told me just to go home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were like, just go ahead and go home. You know? I was like, are you sure? I wasn't trying to like get off of work, but I'm like actually seeing yeah. things. Like I wasn't seeing things that weren't there, but it was like. Probably stuff breathing. Things, things and, were weird. Yeah. yeah, I was like, this is not something. Like the floor, the <laughs> I shouldn't be breathing. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, things moving out of the corner of my eye, and I was like, yeah, oh. you're like, oh, this seems not. Probably should not be driving an ambulance. For, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. for someone who's there to help other people who are dying. Yeah, no, you need was to not be seeing. Not things. a good situation. Seems like. A so yeah, I mean, Josh was apparently he was worried that something was happening. I I guess I maybe took that part out. Um, mm. But I did like was maybe there, I had something it happened. I it didn't was say there if, a particular person he was like. No, he just said that he that something. I swear I put that in here. I guess not. Did I just forget? Am I just a bad listener? No, no, I didn't say it. But maybe I just read it and meant to put it in and didn't. Mm. Um, but he was saying like that he thought that someone was going to hurt his son mm-hmm. and he was trying to get a gun to guns to protect his son. And he would have done anything. Mm. He would have taken down anyone who got in his way because he felt like he needed to. Pro- and so it was obviously a delusion. Like his son wasn't yeah. in danger. He didn't have anyone. And I don't think he did had anyone in mind oh, okay. or yeah. a specific situation or anything. Also, I think about his son, and in such a small town, I mean, even in a large city, if your dad did something like this, but yeah. in a small town, oh god, there's one high school. Oh god, like everyone knows everyone. I mean, that's bad enough. Like these if your were parents are f- regular. Yeah, these <laughs> were bad like, enough to have only one high school. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, one high school, one like not super big high school. Yeah, and I'm like, how did he even? I don't know what happened i need to ask my mom i'm sure she yeah, probably got in touch with with Susie after this all happened but um i wonder like if he just went back to school if maybe he got homeschooled like how would you go Oof. back to school i don't know like with everyone being like your dad 
did this. Like, because you know how what assholes kids can oh, be. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, kids I'm are assholes. I'm fully aware of how, I, like, how big of assholes kids can be. Probably most kids would be respectful, but there's, you know, there's a handful yeah. of kids that would be like, your dad's a murderer, yeah. and then, like, give him a wedgie or something, like, <laughs> you know. A swirly. A swirly. In the toilet. Yeah, so Oy. I wonder what happened to him. I tried searching him up just to, like, see if I could find him anywhere mm-hmm. online, the sun. Um, and his name isn't anywhere online, so I don't know if maybe he, like, yeah. changed his name. Yeah. Or if he was, maybe it's not published or something, like, with his name, because he Right, but it. I would think he would be somewhere. Like, usually if you Google someone's name, it pops up, like, on Facebook or... Oh, like, nothing. Yeah. Nothing Nothing, oh, nothing with his name, his name came yeah. yeah. So I was like, well, that's weird, because, yeah, that's really weird. I mean, he would be about Zane's age, which is 23. Yeah. Cause they were the same age mm-hmm. so i'm like he's got to be somewhere i don't yeah. know i feel so bad for him just like oh just knowing your dad had that in him oh and for losing both your grandpas on the same day yeah. yeah and i can't imagine what his mom felt like either like oh god thinking i just can't even imagine if my child murdered mm-hmm. my parent yeah that's or anyone in my type family of if my if my child murdered anyone but specifically like yeah your own parent yeah Ugh. right yeah. who had moved there to live with you which we're gonna talk about i want to talk about george and august real quick because oh, yes. they deserve tell me of to their be lives. remembered as more than just badass grandpas who tried to fight back Old August Eisner. But they were awesome. So we'll start with George. Okay. George Daniel Lambert was born March 9th, 1931 in Minot, North Dakota. Minot? Minot? Minot. Minot, North Dakota. He was preceded in death by his wife of 57 years, Clarine. Clarine! I know. Isn't that the sweetest name? George and Clarine. (laughs) Um, His grandson, Jeffrey Daniel Lambert, and his parents, Dan and Clara Lambert. He graduated from Minot High School in 1949. He joined the Marines and was stationed at Camp Pendleton, California, where he met his soon-to-be wife, Clarine Clark. They they wed on Christmas Day in 1952, which is super cute. After serving in the Marine Corps, George and Clarine chose to relocate and raise their family in Washington State. He began his career on Whidbey Island as a painting contractor in 1969. The Summer of Love. <laughs> it doesn't say that here. I just added that in. <laughs> that wasn't in then his obituary. Got real kinky at Woodstock. <laughs> he knew right away that Whidbey Island was the place he wanted to call home. It is really beautiful there, despite all the meth. <laughs> George's priorities were to his family and his church. As the patriarch of his large extended family, he was well-respected and loved by many. I am totally posting pictures of George and August on the Instagram, too, because they were both very cute old men. (laughs) So August, he had a lot of ties to the Central Valley, which is where we are right now. I'm like, that's weird. We are in the Central Valley right now. We are. I'm like, wow. So, I mean, it's kind of random. Yeah. So August Eugene Eisner, which is just like the best name. (laughs) Was born August 28th, 1931 uh, in Reno, I Nevada. I see why he was named that. Yeah, <laughs> 1931. 
to August Jr. Oh, this was a family name. Oh, was he also born in August? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't say. <laughs> August Jr. and Ruby Pearl. Which is also, what a cool Ruby name. Pearl. Yeah. <laughs> he was the oldest of three children. He spent his first year living in various areas of Nevada, where his father worked until late 1932, when his family relocated to Coit's Ranch in California. His family settled in Fireball, California, hey, which is like right up the street, while he was still in grammar school. So this was in the 30s, still a long time ago. He graduated from Dos Palos High School and joined the U.S. Navy in 1949. When he left active duty, he returned to Fireball and went to work for his father at his mobile service station, which is super cute. Like, gas stations in the old days were just, like, all shiny wholesome. and cute and yeah. wholesome. Yeah, he probably, like, it was still, like, full service. So Clean. people come out and, like, yeah. put your gas in for you. Oh, ma'am. I picture he had, like, his hair was just, like, neatly parted <laughs> to the side. So he married Clarine. Oh, no. No. Nope, that was no. George. Charlene. He married Charlene like, no, Sawyer. August, you can't. I know. There was a love triangle Don't you of dare. the grandpas. <laughs> no, Charlene. That was close to Clarine. He married Charlene Sawyer on April 19th, 1953, and remained devoted to her until her death in 1985. Oh. So cute. Soon after his marriage, he was hired at Westside Welding in Fireball, where he worked until he moved to Oak Harbor in also in 1969. Oh. He worked as a TV and electronics repairman, managed a rented center, <laughs> and worked as a commercial fisherman in the Puget Sound. His wow. most recent employment was as an apartment manager, which he did in Snohomish, Everett, Seattle, and Long Beach, which is also a beach in Washington, not oh. California. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like all over the place. In April 2010, Mr. Eisner returned to Oak Harbor to live with his daughter, Susan, and her family. Ooh, he didn't know that was going to be a bad move. He was an avid motorcyclist and made the 1,000-mile trip between Los Banos and Whidbey Island, which Los Banos is, that, is close by us, too. Is, is that a trip that is known for being motorcycled i don't know <laughs> i guess i don't know like this is it thing? is now okay <laughs> we're making it a thing thousand mile trip between los banos and whidbey island many times in the last decade to spend time and laugh with his family and friends he also rode his bicycle as far away as portland oregon oregon <laughs> portland oregon <laughs> okay all right. <laughs> he enjoyed cross-country skiing and like fuck from seattle or from wherever the fuck an yeah. hour north of seattle Whidbey island to i guess he also rode his bicycle portland? as far away as portland he maybe did the seattle to portland bike race oh that is because that happens every year my stepdad did that jesus yeah he enjoyed cross-country skiing in the cascades which is hard as fuck have you ever done cross-country skiing uh, no it's harder than going down a hill skiing I have done neither of those. Yeah. I mean, I haven't I, skied. I've snowboarded, but... The yoga studio is like a, a mile away from my house, and I'm out of breath biking there, so... Okay. <laughs> Maybe no cross-country so no, skiing no for cross-country skiing, no Seattle to Portland bike riding. Yeah. Not for me. The The hardest thing about cross-country skiing is, like, when you fall over, which is kind of pretty easy to do because you're just on Great. these, like, skinny, long skis. But it's not, like, regular skis? 
They are. Oh. Yeah. They're like long, regular skis. But you're just going on flat ground. Across the country. You're just forging your way through snow. And then you fall over and you can't get back up because you can't like use your feet. So you have to use your poles. Oh. Yeah. And you were like wearing a lot of layers because it's snowy and you're cold. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a good time. This sounds like so much fun. No, I'm not a snow person really. I like to look at it, but I don't really like to go in it. But either way, August liked it, and he did that, and he did kayaking in Puget Sound and Lake Shannon and many rivers throughout the Northwest. August sounds awesome. He sounds very adventurous. Seriously. Hmm. And it says, last thing it says is he believed in making and keeping close friendships and family ties and sharing the life he enjoyed so much. So that's a little bit about those wonderful men who I can't even imagine what they were thinking in those last moments where it's like oh here's my grandson oh fuck Uh uh-oh like a knife uh (laughs) like how do you feel when your grandson or anyone in your family or Or anyone at all anyone at all but (laughs) especially like someone pulls a knife on you someone in your family it would be so confusing yeah someone for someone you love to suddenly come into your home and and be like here i am it would be so confusing and like not much time elapsed because Kay caught like he got to his one grandfather's house at two thirty. Yeah, and then at three he killed his other grandpa. And they think August died at three, and then his stepdad came home at three thirty and found him. So it was like an, an hour's hour. time. This oh, all man. elapsed, and so he just. Like he's on a spree. I'm so glad <sighs> he didn't kill the acquaintance Amber. Yeah, I was worried for Amber. Yeah. But I feel like I didn't need to be worried for Amber because I would have known that part of the story if it hurt. But I was like, oh, no. Yeah. He went to someone else's house, too? Yeah. But, like, also, thank God no one else was home besides August. But who knows, like, if his stepdad would have been home or his mom would have been home. I'm really glad his son wasn't home regardless. But, like, if someone else had been home, would they have been able to stop him? I'm sure that's something they think about all the time. have deterred him? From killing because they they were home instead yeah. of the grandpa, or would he have killed everyone? Like yeah, yeah. I'm just glad his son wasn't what there. A, what a fun thought exercise. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that is the story. I don't even want to say his name. Of what's his name? Of he, what's he, his face? He of, who shall no longer be named. Of the greatest little town. Yeah. An hour north of Seattle. Yep. The greatest little town. Thanks for coming and listening to this horrid, horrid story. <laughs> that was very depressing. And Thanks I'm, for inviting me. We'll sign off by saying, um, let us know what you thought about this horrible story. <laughs> Did you do meth ever? What was it like? <laughs> Did you kill someone on it? Let what's, us know. What's the best LaCroix flavor? Oh, yeah. Is it lemoncello? Megan says it's it Raz Cran? See, I say LaCroix. I say La Croix. Oh, because you're fancy. Yeah, what's the better, what's your favorite flavor of LaCroix? Yeah. Do you enjoy long walks on the beach? Do you like California or Washington better? Ooh, we one. need to know all the things. So you can email at odd.ends.pod at gmail.com. Also, if there's a story that you want us to do, let us know. And also follow us on Instagram, which is at odds.ends.pod and go see photos of George and August because they were adorable. Yes. That's all I have to say for now. Goodbye. (laughs)